This morning I want to talk with you about, well, several interesting people, but one of them is Enoch. Enoch was an incredible man, seventh, seventh generation from Adam. And Enoch was a man that we know that we've heard and said, what? He walked with God. Well, how did he walk with God? We know that he probably lived in, well, a city maybe somewhat like this. Now, certainly didn't have the same modern conveniences and things, but, but it was a city, a city filled with a lot of things. And Enoch, in order to get away on a regular basis, went up into the hills, went up into the mountains, and he spent time talking with his God. What an incredible thing. Day by day he would go, he'd stay there. and Well, toward night he'd look at his watch and say, Well, Lord, I guess it's getting late. I need to go back home now. He'd go back home. And he did this year after year, time after time. And in about 365 years of doing this, one night as he looked at his watch, said, Well, Lord, it's time to go home. The Lord said to Enoch, Well, Enoch, you know, you're closer to my home tonight than you are to your home. Why don't you just come on to my house? And you know, I thought, wouldn't that be an exciting thing for each one of us? I would, wouldn't you just love that to have God say that to you? You're closer to my house tonight than you are to yours. Why don't you just come on home? And... God loved Enoch so much. He gave him a son. At 65 years of age, he gave him a son. Boy, praise God, that isn't the way it works now. But uh, 65. And he gave him a son, Methuselah. When I die, the coming. Now today we put on there the coming of the waters, but they didn't know that. They had not a clue what it was, but God, through his prophet Enoch, gave him a prophecy. When I die, the coming. Now at the other end of that prophecy, God raised up another prophet to confirm the prophecy. He raised up Noah. And Noah says, Aha, it's the coming of the waters. And he confirmed the prophecy and for 120 years. Now imagine, he grabbed, Noah, or he grabbed Methuselah out there and put him on stage. And at about 849 years, he began preaching and saying, You see this man? You see how old this guy is? He's looking pretty old. 849 years old. He's going to die one of these days soon. And when he dies, the flood's going to come. It's time to repent. It's time to get over it, folks. Put away everything you're doing. Think about God. He's, he wants you to get in the boat. And year after year, he preached this. Now, folks are going, oh, come on. Now, no, you, you've, had, you've had Methuselah out there on stage now for a hundred years. For a hundred years, we've heard this same thing. And it hasn't happened. Why? It's scientifically, it's absolutely impossible. It isn't going to happen. 119 years. Methuselah is 968 years old. And now Noah says, he's the oldest man who's ever lived on the planet. And the prophecy that his father was delivered to his father said, what? When he dies, the coming. And I'm here to tell you it's the coming of the waters. 969 years old, he dies. All the animals start walking down the, the roads from every direction. All the birds start coming from every place. They, people are saying, hmm, this looks a little strange. I wonder, I wonder if this could be a sign. Could, could, could this be a sign of something? No, couldn't, couldn't be. Yeah, couldn't be a sign. Nothing could be happening. Everybody went on about their work. And the door of the ark shut. I woke up 
one morning to my alarm and usually wake up and it's the news. I was listening about New Orleans. How many of you remember recently New Orleans and all the floods and the terror and everything that was going on? I woke up to listening to a man share about how tragic it was for him as he clung to his wife and his child and in the, in the rage of the storm, the child was swept away down the river and the next thing his wife, her grip was broken from him too and the man broke down as he's crying to the news commentator about what had happened. And I laid there in bed and I thought about it. I thought about what must it have been like for Noah and the family closed up in the ark when the rains begin to fall and they could hear the clawing on the door of the ark. They could hear the pounding. They could hear the screams as they clung that last moment to those huge timbers and the water swept them all away. What must it have been like? The prophecy was true. God appeared to Abraham. He talked to Abraham on a very regular basis, had an incredible relationship with Abraham kind of relationship that he's looking like with you and with me. He talked to Abraham and said, you know, he said, you're going to have a great nation of children. Those children are going to be locked up. They're going to to be in slavery for 400 years. And at the other end of that prophecy, God raised up another prophet, Moses. Came, came knocking on Moses' door in the form of a burning bush. See, God comes to each one of us in a different way. You look at through prophecy. How many times did God appear to anybody in a burning bush? Anybody? Once. Just one time. God comes to each one of us in a very different way. I shared with you last night how God came to me and spoke with me. But to each one of us, he comes in a very specific way, tailored to each one of us to speak individually to each one of us. He spoke to Moses individually. He said, Moses, I've got a great work going on. I'm working with the children of Israel and I'm going to be delivering them. Would you come join me in that work? And you see, that's the way God works. As humanity, we always try and conceptualize all these big plans, all these big ideas. We want to do all these things and get going for God and then look back and say, come on, God, bless me. You, you can't find that in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. That isn't the way God works. God has an ongoing work and God comes down and knocks on our heart's door and invites us to join him. That's the way God works. God always does that. Same, we back up with Abraham. He did the same with Abraham. Come on, I'm building a great nation. Would you come join me in that work? Today, God has an ongoing marvelous work to culminate, to end the work on planet Earth, to prepare a people for his soon coming. That's an ongoing work of God's. He knocks on our heart's door and said, would, would you come join me in the work? And, and only as we join God, only as we join God, can we find success in the work we do as we go and do for God. Moses finally, after a lot of consternation on his part, but, 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 but Lord, 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 I can't talk. God says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. You know, we can come up with lots of excuses, but God is so powerful. God can handle anything. God's biddings are what? Enablings. God's biddings are enablings. And when we join God in His work, He can handle it. We just have to go and join God. Moses went and he joined God. And Scripture tells us in Exodus, on that self-same day, the prophecy was fulfilled. The people came out on the very day 
the people came out. Now, unfortunately, we find for those people and for that situation, see, as they left Egypt, they, they moved out of justification, they moved out of total freedom, or they moved out of actually, I should say, total slavery, moving toward complete freedom. They went through the Red Sea, they were baptized in the Red Sea, and they came out the other side in sanctification, looking for glorification as they're moving toward the promised land. That's what we're doing. God wants us to completely come out of slavery. I'm going to talk about this that this afternoon. Move toward glorification, toward the promised land. That's what God has in mind for each one of us. But the children of Israel had a problem. We find that in Numbers chapter 13. If you'd turn with me this morning. Got to put on my cheaters here too. You know, HMS Richard Sr., I always remember him saying, he says, you know, if the Lord doesn't come soon, they're going to back the hearse up to our door. Each one of us are born with an incurable disease called death. Now, when I look around the audience for quite a few of you, you know, I, my wife and I were actually that age one time. We can barely remember it, you know. But uh, every day we're getting closer to the Lord's return, amen? Every day. Now we find here, verse 17 of chapter 13, And Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan, said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go into the mountain. So they picked spies from all the twelve tribes, and they head out into the land. And they check out this land, and they go around everywhere, and you know the story. Boy, they come back, and the grapes are so big. These weren't, these weren't uh, Rayleigh's grapes. These weren't... Uh, Anybody else's grapes, nothing like we've seen around here. The grapes are so big, they've got them between two, a pole with two men. Huge. Somewhat like the heavenly grapes. The pomegranates, everything was awesomely big. It's fantastic. And they get back after their sojourn through that area, and we find in verse 26, And they went and they came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the children of Israel into the wilderness, And they brought back word unto the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sendest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. Surely it flows with milk and honey. All the reports of it were absolutely true. It's real. We've seen it with our own eyes. It was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Oh, nevertheless... Here's the part where they fall down. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Down to verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go against this people for they are stronger than we. Verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants And we're in our own sight as grasshoppers. Here's the human view. Here's the view that they look through. They look through human eyes. They look through human eyes. They look with the eyes, not of God, but of their own eyes. Now now you say, well, Jim, how do you you know that? Well, let's go over to to, uh, Judges, I mean Judges, Joshua chapter 2. Now, Joshua chapter 2, we're going to fast forward 40 years. Because you remember the rest of this story, the children of Israel 
said, we just can't do it. We cannot do it. And so God said, all right, fine. Spend another 40 years wandering in the desert. And so now here we are, fast forward 40 years. Spies again, go out, check things out. And now here we are, Rahab's home. And this is what Rahab, who, by the way, is a complete pagan, quote unquote. And this is what she's telling these spies. Look at verse 8. And before the spies were laid down, she came up to them on the roof and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen on us and that all inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Oh, maybe it's a bigger army now than they had last time, right? No, look at verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the, which sea? The Red Sea. When was that? Forty years before. When you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings. We go down to to verse 11. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. All of the heathens, 40 years earlier, knew that this was a God who was going to totally annihilate them 40 years earlier. They knew it. God's people didn't know it. God's people looked through their own eyes, but here here it is. Our hearts did melt. We had no more strength left within us. Oh my. Look at Joshua chapter 1. And here was the promise that God wanted for His people. And He wanted it 40 years earlier. Verse 3, chapter 1. Every place that the sole of your feet shall tread, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. That's what? Past tense, isn't it? First part's future tense. Every place your foot is going to land on, that I have already given to you. What an incredible promise. What an incredible situation. God wanted to do that for his people. He had prepared the way. He had softened. He had melted the hearts of all the enemy. Their knees smote together. There was no more strength left in them. They were ready to roll over 40 years ago. But they said, oh, we see giants in the land. We can't do it. We're unable to do it. So sad. God raised up another prophet, Daniel. Now, most of you know Daniel 8.14, Unto 2,300 days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And then we find John the Revelator. Well, that was the 2,300 day period was what? What does it speak of? What does that 2,300 days speak of? Sanctuary cleansed the judgment hour. The judgment hour. Is there anything past that time period? Well, let's look at John chapter 3. We look at John chapter 3 and we find out that's the folks of Laodicea, I believe, verse 14. Laodicea. Laodicea means a people judged. A people judged. Laodicea. Are there any more churches in your Bible? Are there any more churches after that one? No. No more churches after that. Last one. There aren't any more. No more, no more time. Now we could go, we could go throughout our Bibles and we could find many more instances where God gave a prophecy through a prophet and then when it was ready to be fulfilled, he raised up another prophet 
to confirm the prophecy. We just find that laid out perfectly throughout the Bible. Now, in the Daniel prophecy, we find that that 2300 years, days or years, led to the year 1844. Now, if God follows the way he's always done it, and he says, I change not, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he does the same, then we must say, hmm, 1844, was there a prophet that arose during that time period? Well, we look historically around and we find, well, yeah, there was actually three. There was actually three. There was um, Joseph Smith, the Mormons. There was Mary Baker Eddy and Christian scientist, and there was Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You look at the three of those, and well, well how, do you, how do you figure it out here? Well, which one confirmed that we're in the judgment hour verse history? Which one said and, and pointed back to the prophecies of Daniel and the sanctuary and all these things? There, there's only one. There's only one. I know it's not popular today, but there was only one. God raised up a prophet to confirm his prophecy again that we are in the last moments, the last heartbeat of earth's history. Brothers and sisters, it's time. Now, we've been wandering around in the desert for many years now. People are saying, why, everything continues the same since the fathers fell asleep. Everything's the same. There's, there's nothing that's changed. Is that true? Is that really true? One more, I'd like to bring out one more thing for you here. If you look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 13, you find again something very interesting. We can, we can look at that and we know that verse 13 has been fulfilled, correct? Sun, the moon, and the stars. It has been fulfilled. There's also more things going around today that that really hasn't occurred and oh, that was no big thing. It was localized. Come on, give me a break. It was fulfilled because we know it had to fit within a certain time frame. It had to fit in and around the time that the beast received the deadly wound. It had to fit amongst all these other prophecies and it fit perfectly. And God's prophet confirmed it also. Don't forget. Believe his prophets, so shall you, what? Prosper. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. You want to not be swept away with every wind of doctrine? Study your Bibles. Believe the prophets. But what about now verse 14? Has verse 14 been fulfilled? Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. When does that occur? At the coming of Christ. That one hasn't occurred. Now, I'd like you this morning, maybe, take out your own pen and write in there your name. Here I am. Each one of us this morning are in between those two verses, verse 13 and 14 of the book of Revelation. Everything else has occurred. Verse 14 has not occurred. We're waiting simply for the coming of Christ. And he knows that time. Our Father knows that moment when he's coming. Daniel 2. What Daniel 2, we all know, we see it in in, uh, our studies all the time, in our series of meetings, the great statue, the metal man of Daniel 2, and we can go throughout history. We can follow it all the way down, right down to the miry clay and the iron mixed in the nation of Europe. What else is there after that? There isn't anything left in the statue, is there? Except the great stone cut out of the mountain without hands. It smites the image and it all turns to powder and God sets up his kingdom. There is nothing left. I'd submit to you this morning as the title of the sermon, we are in the toenails of time.
We are right down in the very last throes of earth's history. The very last moments of earth's history. We look, I, I, I'm not saying today whether I'm pro or con uh, as far as uh, Republican or Democrat, but you look at a short time ago, Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky situation. Both houses of Congress said the man is guilty of sin, he should be impeached. The House side did it, went to the Senate. The Senate stuck up their finger, checked on the will of the people, and both sides of the aisle in that body said he's guilty, he needs to be impeached. But we will not do it because it's not the will of the people. Constitution said it needs to be done, but it's not the will of the people. Now, it's very interesting because we're told one more thing in the last moments of Earth's history that our government would make the Constitution of none effect. Of none effect. Now, all of a sudden we have our, our body of Supreme Court justices. Now the greatest majority are of one religious persuasion. Just interesting. Congress, 167 congressmen, I think, are of particular Christian persuasion. You say, wow, nothing necessarily on its own, but you just start marking all the things. If you look at all the things, you line everything up, it says we are in the toenails of time. There is not much left of earth's history, brothers and sisters. We are out here on the edge in the end. We should have gone. We know that around the 1880s, 1890s, somewhere in there, we could have gone home. God was ready. God was ready, but his people were not. He is waiting for a people whose character is so perfectly reproduced, like that of God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. He's waiting for you and for me. Now this prophet wrote an interesting thing one time, looked out over a vast audience and began to weep. Said, not one in twenty. Should the Lord return today, not one in twenty are ready for his return. Not one in twenty. I wonder what it's like today. I wonder what it's like today. I submit to you, you can't stay where you are and go with God. You can't stay where you are and go with God. Same prophet was in heaven looking at all the beauty and the glory of heaven. God brought her back. And as she came back, she said, dark, dark, dark. I have seen a better world and it has spoiled this one for me. I wonder how many of us this morning have seen a better world. How many of us, like my wife and I, were so involved in making money, so involved in becoming so successful, so involved in becoming a player in politics, so involved with all the things of this life, that we were absolutely not ready absolutely had not seen a better world. Because when you see that better world, when you get a hold and grab a hold of that better world, brothers and sisters, it will change your life. It will change your life. Not partially, not a little bit, but completely. This morning's Sabbath school lesson, you looked at the lesson when you lie down, when you sit up, when you walk. How many, how many things in your life did that encompass? Everything. Absolutely everything. There is nothing that it does not encompass when you're focused upon God. God desires to redirect your life completely, 
Now, I'd submit to you, if you can't hear the voice of God speaking to you this morning, then you've got a problem at the very basis of your Christian experience. Because throughout this word, God speaks to his people, Old Testament and New Testament. God continues to speak to his people, everyone. And if for some reason this morning you can't hear the voice of God, boy, get on your knees, talk with him, say, I want to hear your voice, God. I want to hear what you're telling me. This is the way. Walk ye in it. We must. It's time. The two boys were out. They always tended dad's sheep. And they, they would always take the flocks up on the mountainside. And then the boys, would, as the two, uh, two flocks of sheep would be doing their thing, you know, as sheeps do, eating the grass, doing all those good things, the boys would get together and they'd play all afternoon and look over and watch the sheep. This one afternoon, everything, it's just like the sky broke open and the rain started coming so rapidly, they didn't have time to do anything. But they ran into a cave and all the sheep followed them. They sat in that cave for a while as the rains came pouring down and the thunder broke open the skies. And then it cleared up and the boys, now it's getting toward dark. And the boys came out of the cave, but all the sheep were all huddled together. And the boys said, what, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do? And they, they, they grabbed a hold of a sheep and the one boy had run out. He set a sheep down and another one grabbed another sheep and he'd set it down. But as soon as they ran to the cave, the sheep would run back, right back to the cave. And all oh, the boys were getting scared because they thought, our dads are going to whip us. You know, what are we going to do? And pretty soon the boys said, well, I guess there's just nothing else to do. We'll, we'll go ahead and go down the hill and the mountain here and we'll just tell our dad what happened. And the boys started heading down the hill, one over to his home here, one over to his home over there. And the boys began yelling back and forth to one another, it'll be okay. We'll talk with each other soon. And as the boys begin to, to talk one to another, the sheep, their ears perked up. And the boys looked back. And all the sheep were following their master. Because they heard their voice. They heard their voice. Now, when I was a young boy, playing cowboys and Indians, my mom had said, don't go out too far and you've got to come in for lunch and I'll call you. I'd go out and I'd start playing cowboys and Indians, but I, I knew just how far I could go so I could just plausibly be out of earshot of my mother. Any, nobody here probably did that. You guys were all good. But I would get out just far enough that maybe, just maybe in the distance I could hear her calling. But it was so far away that finally an hour later when I'd show up, I could say, didn't hear you, Mom. Didn't hear you. Jesus said, Remember, when he comes, the trumpet of God shall sound and what? The dead in Christ shall rise first. How are you going to rise up to that voice if you don't hear it, if you don't understand it? When my wife calls me, I know her voice. I've been with her a lot of years, spent a lot of time with her. How many husbands and wives, you know each other's voice. How many of you don't know your children's voices when they call on the phone or when they, they call out in a, in a monstrous crowd? Mom! How many mothers don't know exactly whose voice that is? See, if we say we don't hear God's voice, I think we're kidding ourselves. Because it's a distinct voice, but now the key is that you want to spend enough time to really get to know that voice. Spend enough time to really hear His voice. But we get so involved so many times with so many things. 
This, this young man, oh, I forgot his name exactly, but we'll call him Jared this morning. Jared used to love as a little boy to play Monopoly with his, his grandma. And every time he'd get to his grandma's house, they'd whip out the Monopoly board and they'd begin playing Monopoly. Anybody here played Monopoly? Yeah, you can admit it. It's okay. It's a kind of a, a veggie game, I think. But uh, they would uh, they'd begin playing Monopoly and start shaking the dice. They'd go around and go. And, oh, little Jared, he loved to collect that $200. And he'd, he'd fit his 200 bucks underneath the corner of his, his game pad there. And, and Grandma, as things would go around, Grandma started buying, you know, Baltic Place and, and what Park Place and Reading Railroad and go around and pretty soon Grandma would have all these and she'd start putting putting uh, houses and motels and everything on all of her places. But Jared, you know, he, he liked his money. But pretty soon he noticed a funny thing. You know, Jared would say, at one point, he had more money than Grandma. And he got so excited about that. But then as the game continued, he started having to pay out rent. And the money went out. And pretty soon he lost again. And as the board was going up and all the pieces back in, Grandma would say, you'll, you'll learn, honey. You'll learn. <laughs> this one summer he, he got so excited, he said, I'm going to beat my grandmother no matter what it takes. And he ran off to the friend's house that summer. He spent all summer playing Monopoly with his buddy. And pretty soon he learned how to, how to buy and buy and buy and build and buy and charge rent. And he began to win and he began to win and he began to beat his buddy continually. He got back to Grandma's house and said, Okay, Grandma, I'm ready. Laid out the table, all the pieces, deal out the money, go around and round, and boy, Jared, he's buying and he's buying and, and everything's going around the table. The game goes on a long time. I mean, they're battling back and forth and things are going on and on and on and pretty soon it finally gets to where Grandma's given her last dollar and Jared rakes in all the money and he's got all the pieces. He said, yes, I won, I won, I got it all. Grandma says, honey, someday you'll learn. His face drops. What do you mean, Grandma? What do you mean someday I'll learn? I, I worked and I worked and I got it all. I did it all. Says, honey, at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. Brothers and sisters, at the end of the game, as HMS Richard said, if the Lord doesn't come soon, they'll back the hearse up to our door. It all goes back in the box. All of our our work and energy to grab and to gain and to buy and to position ourselves and to do and to go and do all these things are absolutely worthless unless we have a friendship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Unless we have a heart that is prepared to see Him as He is when He appears. This morning, I ask you, if you want to be one of those people who hear the voice of your God speaking to you. This is the way, walk ye in it. And you're ready to follow. You want to follow. You desire to follow. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to do it. I invite you to stand with me right now. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, our very best friend, Lord, look out upon this audience today and fill each and every one with your Holy Spirit. Lord, you've told us that your biddings are enablings. 
Lord, we are weak in our own strength, but today we choose you. We choose to follow you. We choose to be ready when you come. We choose to reorganize our lives so that we will be doing your perfect will, whatever it takes. Lord Jesus, thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.